Mastermind Agent is proud to present success calls. Top real estate agents from across North America reveal their success secrets, strategies, and systems in up-close and personal interviews. You can find all the calls at www.mastermindagent.com. Hi, I'm Mike Cerrone with Mastermind Agent. This month's top agent is Nina Lampley with Keller Williams in Nashville, Tennessee. Last year, she closed 111 transactions with a total sales volume of $28 million. Her average sales price was $238,000, of which 90% were buyers and 10% were sellers. She has a three-member team, one buyer agent, one executive assistant, and one team leader. Nina Lampley is the team leader of the Nashville Roots team. She's been an agent for 10 years. In her career, she sold 581 homes worth $91 million. In this call, Nina talks about starting as a new home construction representative in the middle of a recession. After three years, she joined a team as a buyer agent and sold 64 homes in 10 months. During her second year on the team, she sold 98 homes as a buyer agent and sold 102 homes in her third year. After working 70 to 80 hours per week, she left the team and started her own. Last year, she sold 111 homes with a buyer agent and an executive assistant. 90% of her business is buyer transactions. 78% of her closings are coming from her past clients in sphere of influence. Nina describes her 33-touch marketing program. One of her best referral sources is throwing her clients a housewarming party, and Nina will describe in detail how to do it. She also hosts quarterly client appreciation parties, semi-annual referral parties, and frequent happy hours. Find out why her clients love her closing gifts, team dynamics, compensation, profit margins, and more. First, a quick word from our sponsor, Real GTV, real estate agent lead generation television. Need more referrals? Get a free script and simple three-part plan used by a top agent to receive and close 74 referral transactions in one year. Just go to freereferralscript.com. That's freereferralscript.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome to the call, Nina. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Hey, Nina, thank you so much for joining us. Nina, before we talk about what you're doing today, let's go back for a minute and talk about what you did before you got into real estate. Well, so I got into real estate in 2007. I got out of college and I wanted to be a chiropractor. So that was kind of my path. Decided that was probably not going to be for me. Um, I bounced around a couple of different things. I ended up buying a house at 22. And so I kind of got bit by the whole real estate bug of like how exciting that was to be a homeowner so young. And it took me a while to dive into it just because of, you know, people being negative about it. No steady stream of income for that. So I worked for a title company, actually moved to Miami in December of 2006 to open a title company. Um, If you can imagine how well that went, (laughs) the market was (laughs) crashing as I was packing my bags. (laughs) So that was short lived. That was about an eight month endeavor. And I came back to Nashville and I decided to go for it. Got into real estate school. The market was probably bottoming out, I would say, as I was taking my test. And I guess the rest is history. Were you a little scared to jump into the market when it was down like that? Well, the good thing is I didn't know. Um, I didn't know really what was coming. 
you know, you don't know what you don't know. So I guess that was the biggest blessing of that. And before I got done with real estate school, an opportunity with the local home builder kind of fell in my lap. And it was a really good starting point, just learning the business from the ground up. I had a little bit of stability for the first few months with salary and things like that. And so that buffered it. How long did you stay with the home builder? So I was in construction home builder sales for about three years. The first year I did really well. And then people just stopped showing up to build my houses because they weren't getting paid. So it wasn't long after that, the builder went bankrupt and I was kind of at a loss because I didn't get paid on all those houses that I sold. So I started working for another home builder that was from Memphis and I was a sales manager for him for about a year and a half. And then in late 2010, I just decided to kind of take the plunge into the scary world of general real estate with no guarantee of anything. Let's try to put some numbers to it. In that very first year working for the home builder, how many homes do you think you sold that year? I sold about 17 homes my first year in real estate. You know, we didn't have any spec homes. It was all to-be-built homes. A good portion of that kind of fell off because the builder couldn't finish them with monetary means. So that's what the first year looked like. And when you switched over to the retail side three, four years in, that first year you went into the full retail side, the traditional sales, open market. How did you do? How did that work out for you? Well, when I transitioned over to that, I came from like a scarcity place and I went with a low fee broker just because I didn't want to give a lot of my money away. And I was fortunate enough that we had the, the credit that was going on. The government was incentivizing homeowners $8,000. So, you know, that falsely inflated the market. It gave a lot of my friends and just my fear of influence the reason to buy a home. So I did really well for the first six months and the tax credit happened. And then the flood in May of 2010 happened. So that pretty much put a big damper on real estate and people just coming from a scarcity of like what flooded and what didn't. It created a lot of low prices in Nashville also. So how that last four months of 2010, I was like, oh crap, what am I going to do now? I kind of wasn't growing or learning and wasn't getting a whole lot from this brokerage, but I wasn't giving a whole lot either. So I just kind of, something fell in my lap or someone at Keller Williams, and that's how I ended up there. So I was a buyer's agent on someone else's team for about three and a half years. So you were a buyer agent there from about 2010 to 2013. And how did that go for you? Was it a different situation? Did it work for you? It was a very different situation because I'd never heard the word lead generate before. And so this guy was pretty hardcore. Um, He had sold about 80 homes the year before me. And so he brought me on and this whole dedicate three hours a day, cold calling, all that was really outside of my comfort zone, but something I had to do every day. I had to make 20 contacts from nine to 12 every day. If I was doing something else, my house better be on fire. So there was a big part of accountability to that. And in my first year up there, about 10 months in 2011, and I sold 64 homes that year and I was working about 70, 80 hours a week, and then the next year I sold 98, and then the year after that I sold 102. So it obviously worked. You really plugged into the system, worked it, and you got the results, 64, 98, and 102. Yeah, I mean, he was really funny. He taught me how to run real estate like a business, you know, and, and more from a branding, from a marketing, from a customer service. That's what I learned a ton by having that position. And do you mind if I ask who it was? 
It was the Anderson Group, Josh Anderson at Keller Williams. Oh, Josh, very good. And you were there for three years, and then sounds like you at at that point you decide to go out on your own. Yeah, you know when you work eighty hours a week for that amount of time, eventually you're going to have a burnout. So I just kind of looked at life, and I was like, you know, where is this going to go? Am I am I the personality that's like, okay, I'm just going to sell less of what makes sense for my life? It's like, what can I do more? And so it just kind of was the natural progression for me to do that. And so in 2014. January, I started my own team. And when you did that, how was that year? Did you have a lull? Did you have a transition year where your production fell off while you were learning how to run a team? So I decided I was not going to put too much pressure on myself for the first time in my real estate career. And I kind of like came from this, you know, I'm just going to be over here and maybe just do 40 deals and have a contract to close person, have a normal balanced life. And then I was bored. I did a lot of Tony Robbins, personal growth trips and things like that that year. So I really just took time to like take care of myself personally and have a little bit of adventure and a little bit of balance in life. And then I was bored. I made a couple bad hires, but I made them quickly. So I kind of failed my way forward a little bit quickly. So that was kind of the year of personal growth and just kind of learning what I really wanted my business to look like. Do you recall what your production was in 2014? So 2014, unit-wise, I did about 32 homes. Wow, that is a big transition from where you were at. You really slowed down, but you were learning the ropes on running a team. You said you made some bad hires. What did you learn in that situation? Just follow the process and really, you know, I typically interview someone five to six times and kind of take them through the whole process to really know, like, not only are they going to be a good fit for us, but are we going to be a good fit for them? Because I do believe in the longevity of that and building something together. And you're not going to keep agents or people as part of your team forever, but I'm going to do my best and try that. Where it's seamless, we all grow together, work together, and succeed together. In the beginning, when you made some, quote, bad hires, was it that you were taking the wrong people in and putting them in the wrong positions? Did they not have the right habits? What kind of challenges were you running into? Oh, just like past clients, friends coming up being like, I want to be in real estate and thinking they have like the good experience of insurance sales and they're going to be great at it. And definitely not for everybody with real estate. It's really hard. I mean, the first one to two years is hard and you're working more than you should. You never have an off button. And some people really don't get used to that. They're used to leaving on a Friday and being done with their job and going back on Monday. So they didn't have the dedication that you did. Yeah, and I think just the instantaneous gratification that people think is falsified from what's going to happen the moment you get in real estate. Let's do this. Let's fast forward to today. Last year, how many homes did you sell? 111. Do you remember the sales volume? We did about $28 million. Do you recall how much you earned in GCI? Uh, it was just over almost five five fifty. And your team today, how many people are on the team? So I have a buyer's agent and I have an executive assistant who runs our whole team. So there's three of you. Three of you closed 111 transactions. We're efficient. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. And yourself, how many did you personally sell last year out of the 111? About 85. About 85. So you're still running pretty fast. 
not as fast as you were at that one point when you were a buyer agent, but you're still selling a lot of homes and now you're running a team. Yeah, it's a full plate. So here's an interesting question because you're in a unique position. You were extremely productive as a buyer agent. Now you're running your team, both at very similar volume. Which one are you netting more money? Which one are you taking more money home from? Running your own team now or when you were a buyer agent running at full capacity? It would definitely be now, you know, even though like my expenses are not what they were before. We did a showing specialist model the last two years I was as a buyer's agent and that's really what enabled me to go from sixty two to nearly a hundred. And from that, there's a pay coming out of my commission for that. So I'm definitely taking a lot more home now, even though of the expenses I have monthly. That's good stuff. And do you know how many homes you've now sold in your career and what the approximate volume is? Um, it is a little over 600 and probably about 91 million around that. Just to wrap that up to make sure I got it right, you entered in about 2007. You've been in the business about 10 years now. You got it. Well, Nina, tell us where is Nashville, Tennessee? So we're centrally located in Tennessee. We're in the capital also. Um, It's a fast-growing city. There's about 100 people moving here per day. Do you know what your current population is there? It's not quite a million. Last time I looked, it was under 800,000. But they're projecting that by 2040, we're going to have a million people added to that population. Do you work a specific market or a sub-market in Nashville? Do you work the entire metro area? Do you work all of Middle Tennessee? We work the majority of Middle Tennessee. Anywhere you are in Nashville, you're about 30 minutes from where you want to be. So markets like Murfreesboro, Smyrna, Franklin, Brentwood, Spring Hill, Hendersonville, I mean, you can get there on an easy day, not a ton of traffic in half an hour. Could you describe your current real estate market? So we've kind of started seeing the upper price point stable out a little bit. It's really so specific per area. I mean, you have like an area that's called East Nashville. I guess they call the hipster area. You know, a lot of historic homes, a lot of musicians, a lot of artists live there. Um, it's just a cool pocket of town. It's very walkable. It's, you know, they're a beautiful park. I mean, something over there to get a nice 2,400 square foot house, you're going to send about 600 days on the market for a nice house. Um, I just looked at something over there for six ninety nine, gorgeous nineteen fifteen home. We got three offers and sold for seven eleven in two days. So that skews the price points a little bit. I mean, the median price point of Nashville is about two seventy, you know, but that's very minuscule to find homes that are in those price points in Nashville because some areas are so price point oriented and expensive. So there's kind of those neighborhoods that'll fit every budget. Under 200 mark is becoming really, really tough to find. You said you're going out to the entire metro area, so you're doing a little driving, but you said you can get everywhere in about 30 minutes. Yeah, and I don't work with buyers anymore. So my buyer's agent does that. But I mean, I've always just kind of had that mentality. It's, honestly, it's easier in some of these sub-markets that's not Nashville because Nashville is so aggressive and there's so little inventory here that sometimes I mean, you may take someone out in Nashville in a certain area and make seven offers, and you may go to a sub-market 30 minutes away, and you may find them at home in two days. So sometimes the time that you're spending equals less, maybe a little bit more drive time, but a little bit less aggressive of a market. 
you know, we did a little paperwork before we got together. And if I understood your business model, last year about 90% of your business was buyers. Is that true? Mm-hmm. We're very buyer heavy in it. And I know that's broken from the model of where, especially Keller Williams, are like listings leverage. When I started my own team, buyers are what I'm good at and it's what I know and it's what I've had the most success with. And what I've mastered, you know, not to say that sellers are not. I mean, this year, our seller side business has increased 25% of our business is now listings. A lot of that is repeat business. A lot of that is we're doing first-time homebuyer seminars. We work a lot with investors also with buy versus sell because they hold. You said that you've increased your seller side from 10% to 25% this year. Did that just happen naturally, or did you do something to make that happen? I can't say we've done really anything, you know, that's been any sort of recipe other than what we've continuously done. I mean, we stay in contact with our clients. We make a point to touch them 33 times throughout the year, stay in front of them with referral parties, with client appreciation parties, and things like that. I mean, we're not doing anything differently than what we've done. And a lot of that is people are starting to turn over and starting to buy and sell. Let's talk about how you're generating your business and your leads. And my understanding is that a big percentage of your business last year, in fact, I think 78% of your business was repeat and referral from past clients' sphere of influence. That's pretty impressive. I'd like to dive deeper into that and see what you're doing. Let's talk about your past clients and sphere of influence. First of all, I assume that you're keeping a database. How big is your database of past clients and sphere of influence? We have about 1,500 people in there personally on my side. And have you added anybody with your buyer agent or your team members? Yeah, my buyer's agent has about 500. She's fairly new to Nashville over the last five years. Gosh, that, I guess that's not that new anymore. <laughs> yeah, actually 500 people in five years, that's pretty impressive. Are you from Nashville? I am a native. Ah, so you had a base of people that you know there. I do. Let's jump into that database a little more. You said you got 1,500 of your personal folks in there. Are you using a software program to track the people in your database? We use Top Producer. Have you used anything else? We're trying to make the transition over to Brevity and kind of working that through right now. Okay, and so you've been using Top Producer. Why are you considering transferring to Brivity? <laughs> this is the never-ending question. I feel like it's choosing the lesser of the evil when it comes to these contact management systems because they all have their perks and their flaws. Top Producer is great for organizing the info. It's just a little bulky. Brivity has some robust things that we're kind of looking at from a lead generating side. They have a CMA tool. They have a database management. They have a lead management system. So we're kind of dancing around and seeing if it's going to work for us before we make the big jump. Let's talk about that database. The 1,500 people, uh, who goes into that list? Is it everybody that you meet? Is it only people that you like? How selective are you about putting people in there and Who's going in? I think we're just at a point where, I mean, we want to do business with like-minded people and people that want to experience real estate and want to learn and they want to grow and they want to make decisions based on what's best for them. And 
not everybody's going to be a fit for our personality. Like we're not going to be a fit for everybody else. So, you know, it just really depends. I don't just meet someone and throw them into my database and put them on my newsletter without feeling like we made some sort of connection or like that's okay with them. I mean, I personally have gotten to a point where I treat my email address like my social security number because we're so inundated. I get over 200 emails a day. It's just one more thing that I get ticked off and people add me to things that I didn't ask to be added to. And I don't want anybody else to feel like that. If we're in a working relationship or we're in business together, then I feel like that's fine. But if it's just somebody I meet that gives me their card where I don't feel like we're a good fit or a good match or a good future business, I'm not going to just add them to my something that may be considered junk mail to them. Something that we really focus on is I'm not a big fan of direct campaigns because I think you can tell what they are. I think they're impersonal. And my motto is we're never going to send anybody something that is not going to give them value. How do you define that? How do you define something of value? Well, like throughout the year, we collect great vendors that we use and just have great experiences with, whether it's a good handyman or a great painter or, you know, just anybody. And I mean, we add that person to our list and we share that once a year with our clients. Or if it's like a market report of what's going on in their neighborhood, how their home values have changed. Do you ever remove people from your database? And if so, why? (laughs) I do not. I mean, I feel like if somebody wants to remove themselves, they will on their own. Let's do this. Let's dig into what you're doing with your database to stay in touch with them. You start to tell us a little bit about that, but could you give us a say an annual marketing plan that you're using? I think you mentioned you have a 33 touch program. Could you tell us what you're doing with that program? Yeah, we really like to be creative and do things kind of outside the norm. So some things we did last year that we had some great success with is I hired an off-the-clock Uber driver, and we delivered pumpkins to all of our clients. We did a little tag on it that said we're carving out time to say thanks, and on the back was an invite to a client appreciation happy hour. And so the cool thing about that, they can carve it for October, or they can leave it on their porch until November. So it essentially becomes something on their porch for two months. We had a huge response from that. People loved it. I mean, their kids, they were sending us photos of when they carved it. This year, we... First time we did a seed packet, and so my team is Nashville Roots. On the front, my assistant made a card, and it says, plant roots with us, and you open it up, and it says, spring is here. We're so excited we wet our plants, and then it had a seed packet. And then we send birthday cards. We have lottery tickets in those, and so it's fun because people will text me and say, I won $9, or I won $1, I won another ticket. And there's something about lottery scratch-offs that people just like have a lot of fun with. For St. Patrick's Day, we did a cute little St. Patty's Day card that said, we wish you luck on St. Patty's Day and give them another scratch-off lottery ticket. Um, we have an ice cream scoop going out in June, which I think July, and it's going to say we've got the scoop on real estate and just little creative things like that. And we do a client appreciation party once a quarter, and we do two referral parties a year. So anybody that sent us a referral we um, have a happy hour for them. And then our protocol is for referrals. Anytime anybody sends us a referral, we send them a Starbucks thanks a latte card. When that person closes, we have an Arctic, kind of like a Yeti similar cup that is our color. It has our laser engravement of my contact info and our logo, and we send them that as a thank you. And so that's all adding up to 33 contacts. Do you ever make phone calls or send out any emails? 
Yeah, we call them on their birthday. You know, we send a birthday card. We call them about three times a year just to check in. We do an anniversary card on the anniversary of their house. The birthday cards we do are branded, and they say you're not getting older. You're increasing in value. On the inside, it says we hope your home is always too small to hold all your friends. And then we do a newsletter 12 times a year. We do their tax statement or closing disclosures now. We do that in January. That newsletter that you're sending out 12 times a year, is that going out by snail mail or email? Going out by email. So we use a local company called Emma. Emma. Okay. And now is Emma an email delivery service or are they also putting together your newsletter? No, they just deliver it. And are you writing the newsletter? You know, writing is not my strength. I know to stay in my wheelhouse. (laughs) Who puts together the newsletter? We have a third-party person that we hire. She's local. She's written blogs for us and does our newsletter. She'll do, when we have a listing and we do a website, she'll also do a blog about the home itself, just like keying in some SEO and things like that about the neighborhood. And and that's so she consistently does all of our writing. I like that you're doing the HUD statement, the settlement statement in January for people's taxes. That's a smart idea. It's an easy thing to do each year. It's part of our closing checklist. And so once they close, my assistant prints it out, puts it in an envelope, and it goes in a basket under her desk. So when it comes time, we just have to stamp them, address them, and send them out. You also said you're making calls three times a year, once on the birthday, and then two other times a year. Are you trying to call on the actual day of the birthday or maybe during that month? At least within a day before or the day of. Okay, so you're trying to be real accurate on that call. That one's an easy one to understand. How about the other two calls? They're general calls. What do you say when you make those calls? Yeah, just really, do you need anything? We're just checking in. It kind of surprises me that if you don't say, like I see some people sometimes on Facebook that we obviously befriend all of our clients, but they'll post something about a handyman or a painter. And I'm like, hello, over here, you know? And so I really just try to be that person of value of like, they need something. They're always coming to me, asking me for it. I mean, we even thought this is something that we're really trying to implement and get better at. I think we do a decent job at it, but Last year, interest rates got down to 3.25%. And those are phone calls that are meant to be made because we've got clients that have 4.5% interest rate. Historically, are they ever going to be 3.25 again? Probably not. You mentioned that you see things that people have posted on Facebook. Did you attempt to put all these people in your personal sphere into your Facebook account? Do you track them through Facebook? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's hard to make sure they show up in your news feed. I'm not the best social media person, but, you know, I mean, not everybody can show up in your feed, but like we have some clients who just lost a dog and I mean, they're heartbroken. They've lost their dog now for like seven days and we sent them flowers. I mean, I'm just heartbroken for them and I'm sharing their posts on my page. I'm letting any client I know that lives in their area to be on the lookout for their dog. Like that's something that I saw on Facebook. You mentioned this pumpkin delivery idea. That had to be a little wild. Those things are not light. How many pumpkins did you deliver? (laughs) How long did it take? Tell us more about that. We delivered about 175 pumpkins. It was an endeavor because this was kind of a too late decision where um, this coming year, I'm actually going to 
get with a farm and be able to get a better deal on the pumpkins and all this and that. So I had to go to the farmer's market and handpick the pumpkins because not all of them are good pumpkins. So I actually handpicked them. One Uber driver could deliver about 25 to 30 a day. It took a couple of days. <laughs> it took about four and a half days to get them all delivered. And we had to map everything out. And you have to be conscious of people that live in condos that are secure buildings that you can't get in. So it had its challenges, but we learned a lot. This was our first time doing it. Did the Uber driver go out by themselves or did you accompany them? No, they went out by themselves. Okay. So what would the Uber driver do? They'd bring the pumpkin, knock on the door, and what would happen next? They wouldn't even knock. They would just put it on the door because they were mainly during the day. And because our clients didn't know, they didn't know if we had them delivered or we delivered them. I think they ran into one client who was planting flowers in the front of their yard. We got a huge response on Facebook from that. They were tagging us and thanking us. It was probably the best thing that we've done. Did you have a note on the pumpkin? Did you send a letter or an email? How did they know it was from you? So it had a little tag on it, and it said, we're carving out time to say thanks. And it had our logo and had a little pumpkin. And on the back of it, it had an invite to our client event party. It was a happy hour. Aha. Uh-huh. Okay. We're carving out time to say thanks. That's very nice. And then you tied it into a happy hour party? Mm-hmm. So you had an invitation. Now, you said you sent out 175, but you have 1,500 people in your database. How did you decide who would receive a pumpkin? So we only sent them to, to past clients and people that actively live here and things like that. So they didn't go. I mean, and we have a big bulk of investor properties and things like that. They're obviously not getting pumpkins at their investment homes. And we didn't send them to everybody. That would cost a fortune. <laughs> sure. You also mentioned that you're putting on client appreciation parties once a quarter. Who's getting invited and what do those parties look like? So we just did one last weekend and we did the National Sounds as our minor league baseball team and they just built a new facility two years ago and it's beautiful. So they have a party deck that you can rent. This is our second time that we've done this. We did it last year also. We did an evening game for that sit. That includes food and includes beer, includes their ticket and a specialized party deck area. So we're all in the same place. There are some seats that are like right on the field so the seats are really good or you can just hang out in the covered party deck area. How many people did you invite and how many people showed up? We probably invited 200 and then we had about 90 show up. And I assume you invited their families as well? Yeah, I mean, we try not to limit it, you know, and to who they can bring. I mean, obviously, if they have children and they have significant others, we encourage that. But I mean, we encourage them to bring someone, you know, because most of the time when they come like we make it fun we hire a photographer so we have professional photos after that we tag them on Facebook and I mean every time we do that get some sort of business because clients have kind of gotten intentional about it where they're like hey I'm bringing someone that you need to meet because they want to buy a house it's been really cool like you always have those people that I mean we have those people that they'll show up to anything and I kind of always joke I'm like if we were having a seance I think they would come you know I mean they'll come to anything we invite them to And that's really cool that we've built those relationships with people like that. You mentioned that you invited 200. Again, you have this list of 1,500. How did you pare down the list to decide who to invite? So we mainly invite clients and we 
invite just people that I feel like we're in relationship with that would be referral sources or just people we want to do business with. So you don't have an official top 100 or top 25 referrals, but it sounds like you kind of do that when you're making these invitation lists in your head. You decide who's most likely to send a referral or who do I really like being around? Yeah. And let's talk about this baseball event, the minor league baseball game. How did you send out the invitations? Did you call them? Did you email them? Did you send out snail mail? We always do paperless posts is what we do our invites on for all of our client parties. And then we make a phone call and then we call the week before to remind them, make sure they're still coming. Is there anybody they want to invite? So you're getting a lot of opportunity to make contact with them and stay in front of them. Yeah. And even if they can't go after the fact, and we were like, hey, you know, we really had a great time. We missed you from being there. Hope you can make the next one. So you make a post-event call? Yeah, we thank them for coming. You know, and sometimes people just don't make it for whatever reason. You know, so we really make a point to call those people and, you know, let them know how much, you know, we miss them being there and how fun it was and hope they can make the next one. For this event that you just put on, the minor league baseball event, sounds like a lot was going on. How much did something like that cost you for 90 people? Um, it's a little over 5000 so it's about 5000 and you're right in the middle of it. Are you seeing an immediate return through referrals? You know, it was just a week ago, so I wouldn't say like an immediate. We have people that, like the people that I say that, are, that come to everything. I mean, there's a guy that works at an entertainment representation law firm, and like I think we've sold eight of his coworkers a house, you know, and he's the guy who's intentional about who he brings. He just bought a house a year ago, and he was a referral from an internet lead that I sold the house to from California that ended up working there that referred him. And <laughs> it's just funny how this whole company, we've like basically helped. You have one person that you helped as a past client a year ago, and they've already referred eight people? So he referred three of his coworkers, and then one of those coworkers has referred four. And so... I think it totals, I think we have about eight people in-house with that company that we've helped. It's just a network. You're working that network. Yeah. Well, what other type of client appreciation events are you doing? We do happy hours. We're trying to get creative and always change it, but it comes down to it's challenging with parking. It's challenging with access and being centrally located. We used to do, one of the best things I did when I started my team is I did a launch party. And I used this really cool brewery that was fairly new. And at that time, they weren't open on Sundays. So it was $500 for the venue. I could bring in my own food. So we did barbecue because you can feed a lot of people for cheap. And there's an amazing local barbecue place. Um, I had an alcohol minimum. So I think all in all, I spent probably about twenty-five dollars to $3,000. But I had gift boxes for everybody. And I had t-shirts made. And I had koozies and business cards in there. So, I mean, it was just kind of an exciting way to be like, I've been working really hard on this. Like, you know, please can be a part of the celebration. And that was the best thing that I did. Now, a quick word from our sponsor, Real GTV, real estate agent lead generation television, where top agents reveal exactly how they create consistent flows of home buyer and home seller leads into their practices every month. Need more leads? Hit the pause button right now. Open Google and search Real GTV. 
That's R-E-A-L-G dot TV. Now, back to the show. So it sounds like a lot of teams will invest a lot of money in purchasing internet leads or putting up billboards or whatever they're doing. And you've decided to take your money and invest it back in your sphere, back in your past clients and work the referral side. And that has been producing for you. So even though these numbers sound big for each party, I'm sure it's similar or maybe even smaller than the cost of buying leads. Yeah, because when we did the launch party, we did a photo booth. And so I just hired a photographer. We had a backdrop. I bought a bunch of silly props and stuff. I had a photographer. And like, so we just try to make it fun. Where people are like, when we invite them to something, they're like, oh, we got to go. Kind of gotten funny because I have people when they can't come, they feel really bad about it. And like, you know, I have some clients that just had a baby and they're like, this is our first one we've ever missed. You know, that just really meant a lot that they feel that way. Well, it must be paying off if you're doing it four times a year quarterly. I like it because it gives you not only the event itself, but it gives you a lot of opportunity to make contact with people during those invitations and those post-party updates. Yeah, I guess that's a good reason to reach out to them for sure. You also mentioned you're putting on referral parties twice a year. Tell us a little more about that. What are you doing there? Those are a little more casual and I think a little, they're a little bit less work. Anybody who's ever sent us a referral, we just invite them to a happy hour for appetizers and come and mingle. Now, when you do these parties, what's the structure of the party? Do you have name tags? Do you meet people at the door? Do you have them sign in? This last time we did name tags at our happy hour client party. And because there's getting to be a lot more people I never get to meet. And, you know, my name's all over the paperwork for my buyer's agent. and Obviously, it closes out my name. So there's people I don't know. So it helps me, you know, names of people that I feel like I should that I've never met. So we did do that. That really helped a ton. We don't really have any sort of sign up or anything like that. I mean, obviously, for the sounds game, they have a will call and they have tickets that are out front. So have to RSVP so that you have a ticket. So then we can kind of monitor who showed up and who did it. During these events, do you make a formal presentation or announcement anytime during the event? We don't. I do try to, at some point, when we've got the bulk of everybody there, do a group photo. And so people just kind of come in and go, especially the happy hour things, because we do it from like 4.30 to 6.30. Usually you'll have stragglers for like seven or so, which is fine. But, you know, people just come and go at different times. It sounds like a lot of people are mingling around and you are probably walking around and talking to a lot of different people during the event. Yeah, it's pretty taxing by the time you're done. And just making sure that you're connecting with everybody and thanking them for being there and, and not spending too much time somewhere and kind of bouncing around. Have you ever done the disc personality profile? We actually hire by it. Do you know what you are on the disc? I'm an ID. My D trails my I, but my I is like a 99. So these parties are a natural fit for you. I had a coach once before that versus being in the status quo of that, like play to your strengths of that. And like I excel when I'm in a group of people where that's really my strength. And like, I've always been like a hardcore baby shower planner, birthday party planner, all of that. I enjoy doing this thing. And so I just kind of always figured my time is so limited because I work so much. And 
really enabled me to know some of those relationships in a one-stop time frame. Absolutely. So instead of you going out to them, you're bringing all these folks to you in one place. Yeah. You're receiving a lot of referrals throughout the year. Do you ask directly for referrals or did they just happen because you're in front of people? I wouldn't say that we get real intentional. You know, like I hear people around, you know, Keller Williams is all about script. There is absolutely nothing wrong with that. I just want to be a real person and I want to do what I feel comfortable doing and I want to do the right things. And I think the right things happen when you do that. Like I'm not motivated by money. If anything, you ask me my numbers most of the time. I mean, you ask my assistant, she knows them. I can ask her, but I just believe in connecting with people and doing what you're supposed to do and everything else happens. It's not about like chasing deals and it's not about how much money that you're making. I think we do all the other things and connect and help people. Everything else follows suit. On past clients, sphere of influence, repeat and referral, someone's listening right now. Is there anything else that we should mention to them to make sure that they increase their referrals? So we do housewarming parties. I spend way too much money on housewarming gifts and all that, but I feel like I want them to walk away with something. And so last year I bought a $5 gift bag and I called my assistant and I said, There's got to be a better way. This is the last $5 gift bag I'm ever going to buy. So we got insulated cooler bags. And they're like, get a juice cleanse or something like that or a grocery bag. And they have our logo on them. And so we use that as our gift bag. They cost about $250 a piece if you buy $100. And so we have those and we give each person a t-shirt. So those t-shirts cost me about $11 a piece. And I think it's important to not get cheap t-shirts because people won't wear them. We get American Apparel type t-shirts like that, and they're soft and they're comfortable. And it's funny because I see people on Facebook wearing our shirts. One of my clients told me she was in the grocery store in her shirt, and some lady chased her down. I was like, where did you get that shirt? (laughs) And so, and then one of our clients, she said that when hers is dirty, she wears her husband's, and she sleeps in it. And I mean, they're the softest t-shirts. So I think that matters, whether your shirt and gift and your money go to the Goodwill, or it's something that they wear it until it has a hole in it, you know? So we do that and then we do our koozies in there. And then I drive my team crazy because I probably care too much about like what something physically is because I used to spend a lot of time on housewarming gifts and running out trying to get the perfect thing. And I couldn't really come up with something that was good for everybody. And I found this company that's made, um, they make this kind of key holder and it's in the shape of Tennessee and it comes in really cool packaging it's a magnet, magnetic key holder. And so there's no hook. It's distressed wood. And it's just really cool looking. And so they can hang it on their wall. It ties in with their home. They can put their keys on it. It costs me about 33 bucks if I buy them in bulk. And then the big thing we do are housewarming parties. So we throw them a housewarming party. We cater it. We show up. We get to meet all their friends. And we do the invite. And how many people typically show up to that party? We try to throw out the idea of about 25 people. You know, if they want to invite 40 of their closest friends and we all get to meet them, I'm not going to say no, but we just send out the email and we kind of try to cap it at 25. It's rare that it exceeds that. And you're able to then meet all their friends and they're all excited about the home that they just purchased. So I assume it's a very positive environment and very productive for you. Oh, yeah, we get to meet their family, their friends, and we get to see their house, like, completed. And so that's really nice, you know, and we get to learn more about them. And 
they just appreciate it so much. And like, you just overhear people all the time, like them telling their friends, oh yeah, my realtor threw this party for me. And it kind of gives them a reason to get their house ready. You know, you have type A people who have every picture on the wall in a week. And then you have people that call us in six months. They're like, can we still do our party? And we're like, absolutely. We have it kind of down to the food options that we have. We have a menu they can choose from. We do barbecue. Barbecue is the easiest. We're pretty burned out on eating barbecue because a lot of people pick it. And then we do Mexican. We use Moe's because Moe's deliver. And they have just a really nice setup. It's like an official catering setup of elevated pans and burners and all that. We did wine and cheese. And then no one ever picked wine and cheese for years. We had our first person pick wine and cheese, and we realized you can't really systematize that. And, you know, we don't really want to be providing alcohol. It's expensive, especially, you know, have 25 people. So we got rid of wine and cheese. And then we have, like, pizza and wings, and every now and then we'll have somebody pick that. Now, you said you are doing the invitations for the event. You're getting the list of all their friends and family that they want to invite. We do. And on that list, are you sending it out by snail mail so you're getting addresses or is it all going out by email or both? We just do paperless posts. There's actually free invites that you can do on there. We send them a link of where they can pick from. And we used to pick the paid ones, but we consolidated that into the free ones because it'll cost me about 200 bucks on average to feed that many people. Um, so, I mean, really, we have about $250 in a housewarming gift and party. And you keep doing it, so it must be successful. You must be seeing a return from these housewarming parties. Every time we at least get one piece of business out of it, every single time. That's not a bad investment. One closing for a $250 investment? The problem is, is when you have like four on a weekend, (laughs) which happens sometimes. I mean, thankfully it's like a Friday and a Saturday, but that's just what makes it challenging. But my buyer's agent and I, we just kind of figured out who's going to get there early to help set up and who's going to flip-flop and go where and, and time it out. And I mean, it kind of has to work around our schedule, too, of the date that they pick. So you are at the event. You're helping them set up. You're meeting their friends and family. How much time are you investing in each one of these events, each one of these housewarming parties? You know, it's kind of like over saying you're welcome and meeting all their friends. You know what I mean? Like we're not there for the duration of it. We try to get there. We have the food delivered. We used to pick it up. It's just, it's too much of a hassle and it's not worth our time to pick it up. I had green beans spill all in the back of my car, the liquid of it. And I was like, last time I'm going to do that. And so we have it delivered. It's just easier on everybody, especially when it's weekends and my buyer's agent showing property all day long. You know, it's just easy to show up and come in they set it up but we just kind of come 15 minutes early if they need like ice set out cups set out and usually like their key friends are there early so that kind of gives us time to meet those people and, and help the beginning of it we usually don't stay more than an hour you also mentioned that key holder company yeah so this company actually makes a lot of the different states and they make one that's the whole united states and they come from this company called Transplant Nashville. They're a local. What they're doing is really cool. And they're kind of in the beginning stages of doing this. But they're really trying to connect transplants in Nashville to each other. 
so they do kind of these get together parties and then they, uh, they hosted a New Year's Eve party and then they do features about people that move here. And so they have a relationship with a guy in Kentucky and they sell a few local things on their site. Um, we buy them from there. They're $40 normally, but if we buy more than 15, we get them for 33. What's on those t-shirts that's making them so attractive other than them being soft and high quality? What is there? Is it just your logo, small logo above your heart, or what is on the shirt? So the shirt is actually our full logo, which is the guitar. And it's actually a, probably people wouldn't know this, but it's kind of, it was a door knocker and it was a guitar kind of blended together. It's just really different. And it's kind of a bright turquoise on a charcoal gray. I think it's very eye-catching because it pops in color. You know, they're just really comfortable. And it's different. It has that guitar on it, so you automatically kind of look at it. You're like, what is that? And is that sitting in like a logo position on the pocket, or is it the entire it's back huge. of the it's shirt? all over the entire front of it. Oh, the entire the front entire of the front. shirt. Okay. Cool. Is there anything on the back? Nope. If anyone's thinking about doing a housewarming party, any other advice you have for them? So the biggest thing that we've done is we put a card in there that says thanks, and it says we know you have a lot of choices when it comes to realtors in the area, and we're just really glad you chose us. We'd like to host your housewarming party, take care of your invitations and your food, and our party planner will be in touch with you. So my assistant has kind of a system of like about a week to two weeks. We can kind of gauge this person's personality. And if they're slow moving from one place to the next over the next two weeks, then we have to kind of tailor that differently. But she'll usually follow up within the first 30 days, depending on their situation. And then, you know, some people, we just kind of every week we look at our cell sheet of the people where her last, and some people like she's reached out to them like six times. And I'm like, okay, we can hang it up now. This person's probably not ever going to do a housewarming party. And then I'll just call them and just be like, hey, we don't want to bug you. If you want to do it, we'd love to host it. If you feel like you don't, then that's fine too. Just let us know. So we usually follow up with them about five or six times. And then if they become unresponsive about it, they're just not going to want to do it. Not everybody wants to do it. We kind of went back and forth with people that don't know anyone here. We still offer it because it kind of gives them a reason to like befriend people in the office and stuff and a reason to meet people. So it's kind of been encouraging for them for that. What percentage of your past clients take you up on it and do the housewarming party? I would say about 70%. Well, that's pretty good. Let's talk about another way that you're generating business, and that is home buyer seminars. What are you doing with home buyer seminars? I used to do this back when the tax credit was going on, and I had some success with it. That was before Facebook and things like that, and that was in 2010, before Facebook ads and things like that. So we basically just do Facebook ads, tailor it down to eliminate any realtors. We try to grab people who are new to the Nashville area people that are newly engaged or newly married and just try to get our criteria, you know, map it out where it's people that would have more results of coming. The first one we did, we did mailers and actually hired a guy. We pinpointed some businesses and we put flyers on their car. We didn't have any results from the flyers. So that didn't work. We did some mailers. We did not have any results from the mailers. Everything came from Facebook. We had the sign in. So the very first one we did, we had about 28 people come with, it's kind of a little bit too much between my buyer's agent and I. 
trying to connect with everybody and meet everyone and make sure that you kind of make that connection. It was a little challenging because people were getting out the door. We did feed them. So we did it at 11 o'clock. It lasts about two hours. We kind of did the whole intro of buying a home for about 45, 50 minutes, and we broke for lunch. And we just kind of did a working lunch. But during that time of them eating, we got to go around and kind of they were sitting and really connect with people that way. So we've done a total of three of them right now. The second one, we had about 15, which I felt like was a really solid, good number where you could connect more with people. And really just, we go over why they should buy now, what's going to go on with Nashville, where are the good areas that are good to invest in, and what to expect when buying a house. And you said you've done three. You had uh, 28 at the first, 15 at the second. How many showed up at the third? The third, we had 18. And we just did Facebook ads. Of the folks that have shown up so far, it looks like you've had about almost 60 people show up. How many of those ended up buying with you? So last year we did two. This year we've done one. And last year we closed three people from that. There's a lot of people who just can't buy in general just in the position that they're in. It was interesting the types of people that we attracted from that. And one thing that I like so much about it is like my buyer's agent met a girl at an open house. And like everybody she meets in the open house is up until the date of that, she invites them. Will you continue to do this program? The uh, whole yeah, buyer seminar? Um, yeah, it's just, we're really busy right now and we're looking to hire two new people. So that's kind of where the gears have shifted. My buyer's agent's on track to do 60 homes this year. So she needs help. And so until we get those new people and we have a little bit more leverage, we've got too much business. <laughs> that's a good problem to have. Yeah, it is. You mentioned you do quite a bit of work with investors. Are they coming out of your sphere of influence and your past clients, or are you targeting investors in some way? You know, we really are starting to have people have that natural progression of conversation about wanting to buy an investment property. And I just sold an investment property that I had. I did a 1031 exchange for the first time I've ever done. And I bought a multifamily property. And, you know, I'm just trying to have those conversations with people of just what real estate can do for you in your retirement and long-term of it. And just be more intentional of that because not to make a sale, but because that's real life. People make a lot of money. I mean, I owned a condo for three years and I never made a mortgage payment on it out of pocket and I made $80,000. So those are things that all of our clients should be experiencing. Let's talk about your team a little bit. We talked a little earlier. You've got three people on the team, a buyer agent, a team manager, executive assistant, and yourself. You said your buyer agent's really on fire right now. You're going to be closing maybe 60 transactions this year. One of the questions that agents ask when they're thinking about putting together a team or already have one together is they're always curious about compensation and structure. Would you mind disclosing to us how you put together the compensation structure for your buyer agent? Well, Keller has a model for everything, and I don't deviate from that. And I know a lot of people kind of go back and forth. Well, if it's their client from their sphere, do they get more money? If it's my client, do they get this? I just think you want this to be a win-win. And I came from that buyer's agent arena. And, you know, I made 50% of the commission, and that's what my split was. It didn't matter what came from where, because I think that becomes a management issue. And what if you pay this person 
a higher commission over their own sphere and they prioritize those over yours. And I just think you want this to be a win-win. You want to encourage that person to work hard for your clients and your leads just as their own. And I take all the risk. I mean, I pay all the overhead. I mean, I, I really, the girls that are on my team, I really take good care of them. I took them in a Tony Robbins event last year. I took them to Vegas for our Keller Williams event. And I pay for that stuff. I'm a big believer in personal growth. I'm a big believer in expanding your knowledge on things and learning and never stopping that. And I really try to enforce that. And if I expect them to do something, I want us all to do it as a team. And I don't want it to be about money or monetary things. And, you know, I pay for it. So it sounds like they're on a 50-50 split and the source of the business doesn't change that. It does not. Do you prefer hiring experienced or inexperienced agents as a buyer agent? I've never hired anyone with experience. So I guess that answers the question. You know, I think my mindset might be shifting a little bit now where now that we're looking to hire people and, you know, the limited amount of time, I would like to have someone with experience just because I have less time and it would just be nice for them to come with their own experience. But I also, there's that kind of like, I want us to do things congruently and us to do them the same way. So sometimes people have biased opinions and things like that. And so I have in the past preferred no experience, but I'm open to that. The buyer agent that you have is really producing at a high level. And why is that? What are you doing to set it up so that, I think you said she's, that she's winning so big? Well, it was a hard road for me to let go of the buyer side completely. And we started out during her training and like her first almost year, she was as a showing specialist. So she got to be in the car with me and kind of follow me around. And so we work congruently together. And I think just her confidence and her knowledge of that has been built up to where she got really intentional this year about what she wanted to do. And she's starting to get referrals now and she's starting to get repeat business. She's got people that are investing in real estate. So all of my referrals on the buy side go to her. And how long has she been with you? Two years in March. Two years. And the first year she shadowed you around and acted as your showing specialist. What was her compensation as a showing specialist? I assume that was different than as a buyer agent. So it was 15%. And was she receiving a salary also or just a flat 15%? Just a flat 15%, which from most showing agents that work directly under a buyer's agent kind of end up being different because when I was a buyer's agent on a team and I had a showing specialist, I was making already 50% of the 3% and she was making 15% of that. So she gets it out of the total 3%. That's similar to what I've heard before. So that makes a lot of sense. Well, are you profitable? Yeah, we're pretty lean. As far as expenses go, I mean, we just, this month, are going to start a lead generating site. I did some things with Zillow and things like that last year, but I just got some bad advice from the Zillow rep and it didn't really work out. And then, so we're, we're just now going to start paying for some lead services. We just expanded and took over an office that's three times the space of what we had. So my expenses are going up, but I mean, we're generally a pretty lean team. I mean, I have one admin and when she gets kind of overwhelmed, just minutia stuff, I just have a temp agency. We hire a person and they come in twice a month. 
Would you mind disclosing to us what your net profit margin is? We run about a 30% cost of sale, cost of business. Wow. Okay. So your net profit is around 70%? It is. Well, that's pretty fantastic. And does that include your buyer agent or is she getting paid directly from you or does she get paid through the company? She gets paid through the company. So her profits never hit my total gross. So the Keller Williams franchise, they're splitting those funds between you and her somewhere at the top on your split. And then you're just seeing the net profit go to your side before you're taking out your 30%. You got it. Should have called it the gross profit. Very good. Thank you so much for sharing there. And that's an interesting arrangement. I'm not familiar with it. Do all Keller Williams teams operate that way, that the split is happening at the company level rather than at the team level? They do. Mm-hmm. I mean, they don't pay any salaried employees, but an agent, because they have their own cap dollar that they pay to the company just like I do. So they're taking out company dollar as negotiated per the agreement of their affiliation before they're paid. Nina, you mentioned that you've just taken over this larger space that's three times bigger than your current space. It sounds like you're planning on expanding your team. We've kept it small, you know, and it's been very easy having three people. I believe it's more of like a pitch and catch thing where, so we're looking to make two key hires right now. Who would you be hiring? So we're going to hire a showing specialist that will eventually move into a buyer's agent role, and then we're going to hire an inside sales agent. Okay. And where do you see your business going in the next year, three years, five years? Where do you want to take this team? How big do you want to get it? That's a tough question. You know, when it comes to like that turn and burn where it gets very impersonal, like I don't ever want to personally do what I did before on another team and do a hundred sales as a buyer's agent. I think it's too much. I think it's too much work and it's just, it's not manageable for a long time. I think 60 deals for a buyer's agent is enough. It just depends. I'm looking at starting a team in Chattanooga, which is about an hour and 45 minutes away. If I don't challenge myself and constantly grow, then I get stagnant. And so my strength is about creating things and growing people. And so probably the next step for me. So, I mean, that's probably in the next six months, we'll do that, but that's going to be about figuring out what leveraging my time between both. That's going to be about getting the key hires here in place. The good thing is it's a really quick drive. We already have a Keller Williams down there, so it's really easy for me to do that. So that's the plan. So you're going to build out your hub and then you're going to add an expansion partner in this other market in Chattanooga. Yes. Do you have someone already in Chattanooga that you like and that's why you're looking at that market? Or do you like the market and you'll find the person? I like the market and I'll find the person. I just bought an investment property down there, a multifamily that has some commercial space. So I have the office space down there. I've been exploring that market for a little over a year now. Trying to immerse myself in it and understand it and understand what the opportunity looks like there. I think it looks very good. It reminds me of Nashville 10 years ago. Looking to get in early. Yeah, but I've already been looking for a year. It's time to do it. Well, Nina, what drives you? Every day I get to get up and do this, 
And like, I look at people who are in this box and they get up every day and they go to a job that they hate. And I feel a lot of freedom, but also not a lot of freedom because some days I work seven days a week. I mean, I take my computer on vacation. I mean, I was in Mexico for a wedding last year and I was kind of laughing at myself of how happy I was in my hotel room on the balcony, looking out at the ocean, doing work for my computer. If I get a pedicure, I make it where I'm like writing an offer while I'm there getting a pedicure. And it's just like, those are the things that I can do that stuff anywhere. And I'd rather be doing it there than doing it in a cubicle somewhere. So I just really love real estate. I love the people that we get to impact, all the people we get to meet and build relationships with. And every day is different. And you just never know what the next day is going to bring. And that's exciting to me. I know that that would make some people feel crazy. But I never get up, whether it's my seventh day in a row or 14th day in a row of working, I never get up and think, oh, I've got to go to work today. I never feel like that. Well, Nina, why have you been so successful? I think because I just love real estate in like a nerdy way. I think this is what I was made to do, where it took me a bit of a path to figure it out what I wanted to do. But this suits my personality in so many ways. It just fits. And like I said, it's not for everybody. And the cool thing is you can make this business however you want. I think that's the most intriguing part about it. And when you're congruent with who you are, you can attract the clients that you can relate to, you can become friends with, build relationships with, and you can have all different types of personalities and be successful at real estate. And you can make it what you want. If I understand correctly, you follow a philosophy of W-E-I-T. What is that? Whatever it takes this isn't a conventional job and what's just been so easy for me and my team of like, whatever it takes, no one is like, Oh, you know, I can't do that. Or, you know, this is going to get in the way of this or anything. And we just do whatever it takes to get clients in the right home. And just living by that is a good mantra to have. I think when you live congruently with that and you have, people around you that are willing to do whatever it takes because that is what it takes. I mean, we're in a tough market. It's a challenging market. We have clients miss out on homes and they're on their seventh round of finding a home and an offer and all that. And, you know, it's tough. You have to put your therapist hat on. You have to console them, but you also have to make them understand this isn't the end of the world. The right house is going to work out for you at the right time. And you just have to wear so many hats that you got to be able to transition back and forth. Sometimes you have to be a pit bull and sometimes you have to be the counselor and be sympathetic for what they're going through because they're really stressed and this is a big decision for them. Well, Nina, if you were going to advise a brand new agent just getting in the business, what would you tell them to do first? I would go join a team. You're going to fail your way one way or the other on your own. You're going to do it a little bit slower and it's going to be a lot more expensive. And the amount of knowledge that you can find on a team, you might be on a team forever. You might find your path is having your own team. But learn so much about being around people that are already doing it and doing it successfully. Well, Nina, do you think that top agent interviews like the one we're doing now with Mastermind Agent are valuable? I do. I mean, we really dive into all aspects of my business. And I know other people have totally different things to say than what I have to say. And I think that's what's so awesome about real estate. Well, Nina, I've come to the end of my questions for today. 
Do you have any parting thoughts for the listeners? You know, I think it can just get expensive spending money and kind of figuring out what's going to work and what's not. And the fundamental basics are there and they're free. And, you know, that's just building relationships with the people who already know you and like you. And it's just figuring out how to do that in a way that makes you feel authentic and doesn't make you feel like you're not being yourself and everything will just come to fruition from that. Well, Nina, you are authentic. You've capitalized on your high I personality by throwing frequent parties, including housewarming, client appreciation, referral, and happy hours. Your decision to focus on your past clients and sphere of influence has paid handsome dividends. Your strong work ethic, efficiency, and leverage has resulted in stratospheric personal production numbers. I can't wait to hear about the next phase of your expansion. Thank you for sharing and being our top agent of the month. And join us next call when we talk to an agent who sold 1,533 homes last year and was ranked the number one Keller Williams agent in the world by units and volume. Find out who he is on the next success call. If you like the show and want to know when the next one's coming out, click the subscribe button on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you want to hear more episodes like this, give the show a five-star review and write a quick comment. I read them all, and it motivates me to keep going and share the top agent success stories with you. Thanks. If you're looking for more ways to generate leads, check out our sponsor, RealGTV, real estate agent lead generation television, and their giant database library of video trainings where top agents reveal, demonstrate, and discuss their best lead generation methods. Visit RealGTV, R-E-A-L-G dot TV. If you're low on funds or just want to get the maximum leverage, check out my masterclass webinar titled Top 5 Free Lead Sources for Real Estate Agents. Learn more at freeleadtime.com. That's freeleadtime.com. Oh, and if you have a real estate friend who needs some inspiration, tell them about the Success Calls podcast. And don't you forget to subscribe right now to hear all the great top agent ideas. Keep moving forward. You've been listening to Success Calls on the Mastermind Agent Network, where top real estate agents from across North America reveal their success secrets, strategies, and systems in up-close and personal interviews. You can find all the calls at www.mastermindagent.com.